This episode of Blaster Podcast is brought to you by Field Notes. Field Notes brand, USA-made memo books and other products, including seasonal limited editions. Visit fieldnotesbrand.com or 400 North May. Last season on Blaster Podcast. Bonos! I'm going to eat myself into a three-month food coma. Wake me up when my fecal plug ruptures. to Blastro Podcast! Oh man, what an exciting season one, huh? I think we're really gonna top last season's excitement in the next 37 episodes. Anyway, it's Oxhoven, and today's episode is about something really super scary and super sciencey. So carve up your jackamantises and brush up your Bluetooths, because we're gonna tech out from the neck out and hypothesize out with our retinothorize out. Bonus, we're back in business! I don't care. And now, let's meet our first eligible bachelor. He's a celebrated podcaster, a Chicago improviser, a professional marketeer, and a speaker of the modern lingua franca, Latin. Smack your moist, gelatinous hams together for Sean Kelly! Sean, please make yourself known to me. Hi. Hi, welcome to the pod shaver, Sean. Uh, it's good to be here. It's good to, it's good to be back. This is uh, season two of Lester Podcast. That's super exciting. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited. Sean, uh, were you able to find the pod chamber? I was. I was. I was able to make my way here, and uh, now here I am. You weren't put out by its spherical, intimidating exterior. Uh, you know, I actually find spheres uh, as a shape to be very satisfying. Wow. So far from, uh, far from being put off, I was actually... Uh, pleased to see its shape. You you gravitated towards the spheroid. Yes. Excellent. Yes. Well, you and I are going to become fast friends. I feel because I'm a very spherical man, as you can see. Uh, yes. You are. You have a gravity. Uh, a certain amount of <laughs> gravitas. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's Latin for gravity. Uh, g- uh, close. All right. Uh, Sean, how can my listeners know you better, man? <laughs> Uh, I'm Sean Kelly. I'm uh, an improv comedian, improvisational comedian. I play with the Improvised Star Trek, which is a show uh, that features a a cast of characters on a spaceship going on adventures. I work in marketing as a content marketing writer, which basically means I blog for companies and create stuff for them to share on social media. You use blogs? Uh, I do. What? Yeah. And you get paid to do bogs? I do. I do get paid to do that. I feel like that's a very rare niche. Yeah. Uh, it is. I, I often feel very lucky to do what I do. Yeah, you struck gold. Texas tea. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Oil, that is. Yeah. Yeah. Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> uh, let's, let's put our thing down, flip it, and reverse it, Sean. Okay. You 
do improvised Star Treks. Correct. What? How even possible? Are you not being sued? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We we kind of we we hope that never happens. Is it that you are a celebration of the universe of Star Trek, and therefore Gene Roddenberry is uh, is applauding you from beyond the Herculean tomb into which he is enmeshed? I think it's both that uh, I th- I think that generally Paramount is pretty good about letting their fans do their fan thing. Oh. And I also, uh, there's probably some fair use uh, stuff that comes into effect there. Yeah, parody. Yeah, parody. And it's educational. Correct. It's both, it is both parody <laughs> and educational. So you do this, this is very interesting to me because you are a podcaster. Correct. But, Sean, you also do the live shows and... We do. We do the podcast and we do the live show. What what the difference is? There are some big differences. A, a live show gives you the opportunity to do a lot of uh ladies nights, bachelorette parties, special occasions. Yes, we do. We have had some bachelor parties and bachelorette parties at the shows. Did things get weird? No, not really. Oh. No. Not in these particular instances, but the you know the sh- the shows give you a lot of opportunity to do physical humor and physical bits. We also have a lot of uh, live tech that goes into the shows, so live sound and live music. And we have recently introduced some basically like high tech props that trigger sounds and effects on stage while we're doing the show. You mean like a Doctor Beat? Like a doc, what is a Dr. Beat? <laughs> I believe it was a 1990s MIDI based drum machine. Is, is that kind of like Bop It? Uh, it's like Bop It, uh, but for like a music producer. Okay. And it has various metronome functions and, uh, and Metro Goblin functions. We actually we hacked some Wiimotes and what? the buttons now trigger different Star Trek sound effects. Holy crap. So in the live show, we can now do like live phasers. Live hyposprays, live tricorders. Uh, we have a setting that changes it from human to Klingon, so you can do a disruptor sound. I, I think there's a Klingon tricorder on there, uh, and then we also have a couple of custom sound effects that are just for our show. That's amazing. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, Dan Granada and Nick Wagner, who are two guys who work on our show, rigged those up, and they are—they're actually super impressive. Yeah, where in the world? Do you perform this in case my listeners are interested in getting off their goddamn couches and watching you? We perform all over the place. We recently had a show in Seattle. Uh, We are doing another live run of shows in Chicago. That will start on November 6th, and it'll run Friday nights at 10.30 p.m. at IO Chicago. IO Chicago! Yes, uh, Chicago's home of long-form improv comedy. That is true. Let no one say it is not. That's, I mean, that is what it calls itself, so... You know, the cool thing about improv is it's it's sort of a limitless art form, uh, sort of anything you can imagine you can do on stage. Uh, but with a improvised podcast, you're even uh, you're even less limited than you than you would be normally because you don't even have to really pay attention to the laws of physics. A character in an improvised podcast can be flying throughout the whole show or, you know, uh, you can play multiple characters and nobody is going to know the difference there's the the possibilities when you improvise without when you improvise towards someone's imagination rather than to their eyes uh creates an even more even more limitless potential in a lot of ways 
Well, so I guess you could say that podcasting is superior then to live improvisation. Uh, I wouldn't say it's superior. I would say it's different. Hmm. All right. Well, we all know what you actually mean. Sean! Don't give me that face. This is my resting Sean face. Oh, boy. I like the structure. I like the sub-lattice of your face. Thank you. I appreciate that you can see that through my beard. (laughs) I can see your heat signature. Ah. Anyway, Sean, today we're talking aboard the Singularity. Uh, Why did you choose this for a topic? I'm very interested in technology. I've always been very interested in technology since I was a little kid. And so the concept of the Singularity is sort of fascinating to me. Uh, In part because most of the time when people talk about it, they're talking about it from a perspective of fear. Oh, yeah. From this idea that technology is going to like overtake us and either destroy us or enslave us or change us in some way that will be completely unrecognizable to ourselves. Uh, But there are actually some people, a certain futurists, who talk about it in a, a positive light, who talk about, you know, the means of technology to, you know, sort of help us improve and get better, and who talk about the singularity as something that might potentially be positive. And I'm, as someone who loves technology, I'm fascinated by that idea, by the idea that technology will continue to change and continue to make us better. While I'm also interested in that other perspective, that like fear perspective, that technology is going to turn us into the Borg or the Cybermen or eradicate us and cover the planet in a sheet of gray goo. Ooh, I'm just into goose. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, everybody's into goose. (laughs) Goose of the new look. Yeah. The 2016, baby. Right. Goo is the new black. That's right. Are you playing Pokemon Extreme? No, I'm not. Is that out yet? <laughs> I don't know. My brother is super into Pokemon. I'm sure he'll be very excited when that oh, comes out. Oh, this quote-unquote brother of yours. This fictional brother. I have two brothers, actually. Hmm. And two sisters. One of them is into Pokemon stuff, so you gotta buy all the stuff for him for yeah, holidays. absolutely. And then the sisters just love cashmere sweaters, so you gotta have a closet full of them. Amazing, tactile-feeling sweaters. For, uh, for your sisters. Correct. Just in case. Just in case. <laughs> Sheesh. Oh, family, huh? Yeah, right. Speaking of yeah, right. Sean, it's time for learn. I am ready for learn. Sean, what is the singularity? Uh, I don't know if you're lying. Uh, so the, the particular use of the term singularity that I've been thinking about is the technological singularity. And the technological singularity is essentially... The, the idea is that at some point we'll create computers that are, or some other type of machine, that are artificially intelligent uh, and will be able to grow and learn and propagate themselves, essentially. And then society will drastically change as the computers would be able to essentially advance uh, and change at an exponential rate on their own. Now... <clears throat> If this were true of any other product, would would the outcome be the same? Like if we made automobiles and they became smart like Knight Rider uh-huh. and they could make more automobiles and better automobiles, would that cause a single bird? I think that's how you end up with the fictional dystopia as uh, that is presented in the movies Cars and Cars 2. Oh, yes. Yeah, where uh, cars have supplanted human beings as the, the dominant life form on the planet and are constantly striving to make faster cars to win 
their races to entertain the older, less fast models of car. In in that way, it's kind of like ancient Rome with gladiatorial events. Yeah, physical little, feats of strength. A little bit, you know. There's a little bread and circus going on in cars. I think. Now, do the cars wonder why they have their vestigial seats and seat belts and steering wheels? Uh, you know, I I don't know. We we would have to probably create some sort of uh some sort of a spinoff fiction as fans mm-hmm. that dealt with that particular topic, like the philosopher car. Yeah, exactly. We need we need Socrates. That was really good, but I was taking a swig of coffee. Let's, let's do it one more time. Like a philosopher car. Yeah, like a sock car tea. Ah, my humor gland. <coughs> Sean, that was pretty good. Thank you. Sock car teas. My other one would have been Caristotle. Uh, also good. Yeah, I know, right? Ladies and gentlemen, IO improviser, John Kelly. It, ter- it turns out that uh, ancient Greek philosopher names lend themselves to car puns. I bet they never would have dreamed that that would happen. Probably not. Uh, so, okay, now we know exactly what the singularity is. Uh, has there been a singularity before? Uh, I'm not sure if there's been a technological singularity by that definition. There have certainly been technological advancements that drastically transformed society in ways that m- may make it unrecognizable to other people. Um, I mean, you could probably make the argument that just the invention of computers and other thinking machines has changed society in deeply profound ways that would make our current culture unrecognizable to cultures in the very recent past. Now, I've heard uh, unrecognizable being like kind of a buzz, uh, not a buzzword, but a way to describe the post-singularity culture or society uh, to the people who are living before the singularity. But I mean, at a certain point in time before we had a great deal of travel or communication exchange. I mean, couldn't one argue that uh, medieval China uh, would look at medieval Europe and find that culture unrecognizable? I think that's a different type of difference. Uh, The difference engine. Yes. Yeah. Uh, William Gibson's The Difference Engine. Ah, the guitar manufacturer. Yes. The guitar manufacturer. There you go. Nailing those, nailing those car puns. (laughs) Just the with the word car though. We're not using any kind of of further car terminology. Look, you gotta crawl before you can walk. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You gotta crawl before you can drive, Mm -hmm. uh, or walk before you can drive. I guess that's not necessarily true. Yeah, some people who can't walk can drive, Sean. I mean, those are open-minded. In 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 those cases, you're talking about cultures that were also isolated from one another. So a lot of what would make one unrecognizable to the other is the fact that they evolved separately, even though they did have you know some contact with each other over the course of various trade routes and cultural exchanges. Um, so that. In some cases, it's not a matter of a difference in technology. It's a matter of a difference due to cultural isolation. Hmm. Correct. Ah, Sean! Whence comes this word, the singularity? Like, what is the origin of the word? Yeah. It seems like one of these bullshit words that someone just makes up, like synergy or (laughs) cholesterol. I mean, aren't all words made up at some point? At some point, somebody had to say the for the first time. Mm, The Bible? Hmm. Um, I, I'm not sure the Bible was the first place that word was used. Uh, it was the first time Bible was used. Actually, I'm not entirely sure that's did true. Did Bible have a me- It must have had a meaning before the Bible. Well, the word Bible has a Latin root oh, word. Oh, here we go. Yep, it's about go. to get juicy. And it's it's the word for book, the, the root word for, for 
Bible is books. The Bible is just the book. Yeah, it's it's the, it roughly translates to the book. Well, back then, I mean, there weren't a lot of books around. That is true. So it's like, hey, what you got there? The book. You could say the printing press was an example of a technology that changed society in a way that rendered it unrecognizable to the people before. It wasn't, did it, but that's the thing. Did it become unrecognizable or could people recognize, could people from the pre-literate dirt-eating times look through the portal of the future and see all these, you know, sissies in libraries studying for their exams wouldn't they say those are a bunch of people and they're they're doing something they're not working they'd probably say oh my god oh no this must be witchcraft because i've never read or learned anything and therefore i don't have any knowledge about about what could possibly be happening there and speculate and think about it constructively right critically so much must be witchcraft wait yeah. is it witchcraft i mean maybe where we you created the time portal, so I'm not sure if it's a I created the time portal. I'm not sure if it's a science time portal or a magic time. Do portal. I have to destroy myself to stop it? You have to go back in time to destroy the time portal oh, that you created. This is such a looper of a situation. Are you are you playing uh, Pokemon? I was just looking at the time. Are you playing Pokemon Express? Speaking of time, you're running out of it, Sean, because there are technologies out there that are ushering in the singularity. What are some of them? Well, I mean, we keep making faster and smarter computers, uh, you know, and... TI-82? Uh, <laughs> TI-83. What? I think they're past TI-86 at this point. Is that the liquid metal one? Yeah, that's <laughs> TI-86 is the, the graphing calculator that can turn into different knives and buzz saws and things like that. Right, but no projectile weapons. Yeah, no projectile weapons. The TI-87 can fire projectile weapons. Holy crap. Yeah, I know, right? It's real scary. Uh, I want to go back to the old TI-82 with its Arnold Schwarzenegger voice mm -hmm. and its... You know, it's mechanical skeleton. Um, so, you know, like Watson is a computer that IBM made that it, it just does all these Ow! different things, uh, wins games against people. And they, you know, they just keep creating these computers that think better than people in a lot of ways. But there are still these certain thresholds and certain things that computers can't do. And they basically speculate that, like, once a computer can love yeah, basically, they will have reached this point of, you know, artificial intelligence where they'll begin to uh, surpass and potentially enhance or replace us. Okay, gut check. Which do you think is more likely to happen first? Artificial intelligence learns how to love? Artificial intelligence learns how to hate? Artificial intelligence learns how to love because <laughs> hate is the absence of love. And so you can't, you can't experience hate without experiencing love first. Oh, that's an interesting definition of hate. I, I, I experience a much more active hate. <laughs> hate is a fire that drives you. It gets you out of bed in the morning. See, that's how I feel about love. Wow. This is a real Jedi-Sith argument. You know, if the Jedi and Sith could just sit down and talk about how they view the world, maybe they'd learn something. Yeah. I, I also think that would sort of uh, fundamentally alter the Star Wars movies. Yeah. If they ever just talk to each other. Right. Like, maybe Jedis and Sith have a lot more in common than they think, and they could just work it all out. Maybe they could just mush together, like, at, th at the end of the Dark Crystal and become a, just a regular thing. Yeah, just like an in-between regular thing with light and dark parts. Yeah. I mean, okay, Sith, here's the deal. If, if your belief system is slowly making you look like a zombie <laughs> or sprout horns right. or turn parts of your body bright red... You're probably on the, the bad side. Isn't Darth Maul just bright red anyway? I thought the black 
uh, on his face was a tattoo. Yeah, he looked like a scary dude anyway. Right. I don't think that was his uh, his Sith powers. I think that's just how he was. So you feel like he was convicted in the womb, a product of his environment. I mean, that's a, that's a question to Darth Maul. Is Darth Maul a, a victim of original sin, or <laughs> did he come to be evil over the course of time? Hey, Sean. Yep. We've talked about artificial integrity. Yep. What about other technographies that might rush forth uh, the singularity? So uh, another uh, another singularity scenario that's often discussed by scientists and futurologists or futurists. That's not a thing. They uh, is the the gray goose scenario. The gray goose, my favorite of vodkas. The, the the gray goose scenario is essentially one where uh, nano machines, which are these tiny microscopic robots that that we can build and that you know they keep making better and better nano machines uh will basically start to self-propagate and will consume all of the matter on earth that is not nano machines uh leaving only a, a layer of of gray mush because for some reason these machines want to take stuff apart um, well, they, if they have a, you know, like we have an, an instinct as human beings to self-propagate, to, to make more human beings and to take in more resources to improve our health and quality of life. So, you know, if you created a nano machine that had that same sort of prerogative, they might very quickly do to the earth what we as a species have done very slowly, which is transform it into a, a place where only they could survive essentially that's a bummer yeah uh that seems a bit uh, to my mind uh, more of a distant possibility because i feel like whereas artificial intelligence if we encourage it to learn and get smarter it could sort of take over from there like uh, it's teaching itself and could pick up new ideas but if we are designing discrete nanobots Unless we build them specifically to build more nanobots, uh, it seems like they would just do what they're programmed to do and not deviate. I think that's that's part of the speculation of how a singularity might happen. Is essentially, at some point, you create a machine that's so intelligent that it's doing things that it's not programmed to do, that it, it overcomes its programming or starts creating its own programming. Um, in order to do what it wants to do instead of what the person programming it wants to do. Do you think that's how God feels? <laughs> like how he feels about people? Yeah, like we're the nanites, and uh, it's like, oh, I know, I just wanted you to be nice to each other. Yeah, why did you Why did you pollute the planet? Also, why did I give you the instinct to be real shitty to each other right. for resources? Right. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not one to put words in God's mouth. Oh. God's mouth. <laughs> that sounds like it should be a band. If yeah, it's not or a lesser known Shakespearean insult. Right. Ah, uh, you God's mouth. Ah. Uh, hmm. All right. Any third options such as synthetic biology? <laughs> that that seems like a, a fine option. <laughs> what do you know about uh, mapping of the human uh, genome? Uh, I know that the human genome has uh, been mapped. Uh, it's too late, Sean. I know we did it already. I, it's actually funny. I had a, a high school biology teacher who used to. I, I actually very specifically remember him saying, "We will never map the human genome. It's too complicated. It's too big of a task. It'll never happen." And then it happened like two years after that. <laughs> uh, he also never completed War and Peace. Right. Yes. 
So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I guess there's a, the possibility that instead of computers or, you know, machines, you could create some sort of a biological thing uh, that would be a singularity. Um, you know, there are a lot of biotech companies out there working on really crazy things. Um, a lot of those, th- the, I think the part of the problem with biology as compared to computers is a, a lot of that stuff is essentially illegal. Uh, there's a lot of genetic engineering and and things like that that, uh, at least in the United States, we are prohibited from doing by law. Right, but that doesn't mean that other nations aren't doing them. Right, sure. But those other nations, you know, we have more resources to do stuff like that than other nations. Yeah. There are, pro- there are very few nations that have both <clears throat> the... Uh, the legal and technological means to achieve a, a biological singularity, I think. Hmm. If you could alter your body, which you have been, Sean, through the process of exercise. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and just eating different types of things. Yeah, like little nanites. Yeah. Um, if you could alter your body through synthetic means, let's say get enhancements, sure, uh, night vision, uh, better sense of hearing, and uh, there weren't negative consequences. Would you do it? I, you know, I think I would. I, I think if I had those options available, I think I would. Like a Deus Ex situation, you know those video games. You said Deus Ex, and the only thing I th- I thought about was uh, Greek Greek tragedies. Good, you're a learned man. Thank you. In fact, there is isn't there a new movie called Deus Ex about sexy computer girls? <laughs> I have no idea. Is there? I think there is. But before that. And after the, the Greek got in the machine... There was a game. There was a video game called Deus Ex with a very Keanu Reeves-type protagonist, and you could upgrade your body synthetically. Nice. Yeah, and take out other bio-hackers. Bio-synthoids. Bio Bio-poachers. Bio-people. Mm-hmm. Ah, so, okay, in that sense, if everybody in the future, in il future, if you will, uh, modifies themselves technologically... They might become unrecognizable to us meatbags. Yeah, to some extent. You know, you could have people who uh, mix their DNA with animal DNA. Oh, I know what you're talking about. You might have some people, some like half cat people walking around. You could have people with super strength. We could modify people to survive in different extreme environments. So you could modify a person to, you know, better survive the radiation and grav- gravitational extremes of space. That was a, that would be a good idea. Get some water bear DNA in there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, tardigrade. Tardigrade. I was going to say, I, I, we call them tardigrades. Uh, <laughs> although water, water bear makes them sound like they're really cute, but when you look at pictures, they're horrifying. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a subtle distinction. You know, I think if you don't think about it too much, you can assume they're cute because they're puffy. Right, they are. But... That's They've got those creepy little mouths. Yeah, and they have too many arms. Yeah, way too many arms. Uh, but they can survive in the vacuum of space. And that's cute. Isn't that terrifying? Oh, yeah. So Water know, bearman. I wonder if, if we created a, a bad technological singularity, if it, if it would be able to destroy tardigrades or if they would be like the one the one biological thing that would survive like a gray goose scenario yeah well if the nanites are busting stuff up at a molecular level yeah i think even a tardigrade can't hold its atoms together against such uh strong atomic forces yeah that's probably true stupid micro machines right all right well now that we know the various harbingers of our demise the horsemen of this apocalypse uh, walk me through some of the most likely singularity arsenios 
Okay, uh, so there are some different ones, uh, a lot of which have been popularized in feature films and books. There is the scenario in which humanity ends up going to war with the machines. Yes. T2 uh, uh, Judgment Day scenario. Uh, in which, you know, our computers basically decide that they need to wipe us out for whatever reason. It's an us or them scenario. So uh, a future robot war, that's that's one uh, possible singularity scenario. Uh, another would be a variation of that, which would be a scenario in which uh, computers enslave us. I guess that would be more of a, a matrix scenario mm -hmm. where uh, I, I'm not sure why they would keep us alive, uh, but they... You know, maybe it would be like the Matrix where they used us for batteries. Real inefficient batteries. Yeah, super inefficient, really shitty. We'd be like the like generic brand batteries of the future. Yeah, with like a hole in the side. Yeah. And the white paste, the white caked on stuff that accumulates at the bottom of the terminal. And batteries that you'd like have to feed uh, and, yeah, and, deal, and change. With, deal with their waste. Yeah, and batteries that get sick. Yep. That's a that's a, that seems like a really bad battery to me. Bad battery. Here, I'm, I'm Sean Kelly. Here's my theory. If there is a uh, if there is a matrix like scenario, I believe it can only be because the robots have been taught not to kill humans, but as they become smarter and smarter than us, they realize that humans are competitors for resources, and the robots need them resources, and that humans' innate hostility would eventually lead to a robot war. So the robots got to preemptively trap us in a matrix-like environment where we are in a human zoo. Okay, that's so that that's almost like uh, it's not a perfect analogy, but that's almost like Planet of the Apes, yeah, uh, where we become entertainment or pets or slaves to the machines. Right, it's for our own good. Right, but the problem is humans in a human zoo, we we wouldn't be able to hack it. I think that in time. We would get so pissed off that we'd start the robot war. Right. And we'd have to be put down. That's like the one thing that's true of all of those sci-fi and fantasy novels, though, right? Or, or not fantasy novels, sci-fi films and movies, is in all of them, the, the humans fight back. Yeah. And, and usually they win. Usually we beat the machines. And I, I'm, I'm always like, we never see what happens after that. I'm always sort of curious what happens after we've won the robot war. There are very few stories that deal with that. I think Dune is probably one of them where, oh. you know, they got rid of all their computers and started using people with hyper enhanced brains to do most of their their computation. So uh, that's that's sort of an interesting thought experiment. What happens after we overthrow the evil robots and evil machines? It's a bit of a French Revolution scenario, I think. If our leaders are like the strongest, most badass prisoners who break us out of robot Auschwitz. You know, is that someone you really want to lead you into a new era of peace? Right. That person's not a farmer. Right. A warlord's not going to be a good a, a good president. No. <laughs> well, no. Okay, that's getting a little bleak there as soon as I mentioned Robot Auschwitz. So let's move on from the idea of human zoo or human genocide. Let's talk about if robots take over and all the humans just get to hang out because all our jobs are taken care of. Yeah, I guess that's sort of one of the the positive scenarios, although some people would probably consider it a negative one, where we end up uh, living lives of, of leisure. Yes. You know? in, in a lot of ways, that's like that's been like the whole direction of human civilization is 
you know, people think like, I'm going to work hard and I'm going to do this and I'm going to invent these things and change society so that my kids don't have to work as hard as I did and they can do the things that they want to do. So in a lot of ways, you know, a scenario where we can machines do everything and so we can just spend all of our time reading or mountain climbing or watching TV or whatever. Doing one-man shows. Doing one-man shows. Doing podcasts. Making a one-man podcast. Uh, we could create an entirely podcast-based economy with a robot to record the podcast for us. Right. So that's uh, that, That's sort of a positive scenario, although I think a lot of people would say without purpose, without a, a, you know, a need to invent and to strive and to work, we'd lose a lot of what makes us fundamentally human. Uh, in that particular scenario. And so maybe that scenario is slightly apocalyptic as well. Yeah. I suspect in the Wally type leisure human world where robots take care of us and do all our jobs for us, I think humans would find a way to create conflict with each other. Right. And I think we'd still have war and we'd still have crime and drug addiction and stuff and all the problems because people would get bored. Right. Although there might be a robot at the end of the day that's like, all right, all right, this has gone on long enough. This has gone on too far. Uh, Human zoo. Yeah, you back. You're, you're going in the zoo now. <laughs> no. Yeah. So human zoo scenario. Most of humanity's locked in the human zoo. There's like ten percent who's just cool with being like a boneless, like leisure slime. Right. And they're just gonna chill out and not cause any trouble and reap the rewards. Yeah. They're just walking around, not even clothed. They just wear a duvet. <laughs> or or a, a sock. <laughs> a, a giant sock. Or a series. Like Super Mario or in that one game where he gets in like a boot and jumps around. Yeah. Yeah. That was three, I think. Super Mario Brothers 3. What's the deal with that boot? I it's 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 got like a little twisty thing on. I think it's got like a key on the back. Yes. You uh, just unlocked some deeply locked away memory in, in Tori's mind sack. Well, you could use it to jump on spikes. I, I do remember that. Ah, it's always good to have a giant man-sized boot to traverse spikes in. Yeah, absolutely. You don't find a lot of naturally occurring spikes on the ground in life. Right. I feel like that's one thing that video games misled <laughs> us on uh, growing up in the 80s and 90s. That there aren't as many... Pits full of spikes and just open bottomless chasms, yeah. uh, as, as I was expecting. Yeah, uh, especially in like caves, major construction zones, military bases, castles. None of, none of those things, none of those places have as many spikes as I was expecting. Castles have some spikes. But mostly ornamental. Right, mostly decorative. Speaking of decorative spikes, okay, if, you, if humans gain the ability to rewrite matter using nanobots, taking apart molecules, putting them back together as we see fit, and we clean up our planet, we destroy pollution, we create infinite fuel and food. I mean, that could be a form of singularity. Yeah, that would be like the positive singularity. That would be like somehow we become intertwined with the artificial intelligence that we create uh, and the sort of exponential rate of advancement changes humanity in a way that, you know, we would be like super beings or uh, akin to a, the classic perception of gods uh, in a lot of ways. My guess is that's ultimately where we would go. 
uh, I'm I'm less prone to thinking that we would end up in one of the you know human zoo robot war scenarios, and that more likely, and I don't think it's something that would happen tomorrow or ten years from now or even a hundred years from now. I think technology would would give us the ability to do good things, and I think ultimately we would do good things with them. Probably after a lot of stops and starts, um, and probably a lot of hardship uh, along the way. Yeah, I mean, we have nuclear energy. We have had nuclear energy for decades. Right. And it is, it, when it works, when the when the plant is not damaged or have any leaks. Right, or, or getting swept away by a tsunami. Yes, who could predict that, really? Right. Uh, uh, when these things work, they're very clean and efficient and produce massive amounts of power. Right. When they don't work, we get into big, super damaging trouble. Right. And I feel that that would be true for the matter rewriters. You know, what happens when you leave the machine on and you accidentally turn all of New Jersey into taco meat? Uh, that might be a that might be a positive <laughs> <Upgrade>. change. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, New Jersey. Uh, sorry, everyone I know from New Jersey. Keep listening. Bruce Springsteen's great. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there is that possibility. I'd like to think that, you know, as that's something that's probably off in the distance that we would have become in, enlightened enough to deal with that responsibility once it comes. You know, in some ways, nuclear energy was the the artificial intelligence of its time. It was a technological threshold that once we crossed, once we crossed it, it held a lot of promise t- to help human society, but also to do things that were very harmful. And we did do things that were very harmful with nuclear power we you know we destroyed millions of lives with it during world war ii but we've also used it to enhance the lives of even more people since then with nuclear power and you could make the argument that with nuclear weapons we kept the world in a state of relative peace relative very very relative uh through mutually assured destruction between the United States and the Soviet Union, because neither of those countries wanted to cease to be. So they didn't use these horrifying doomsday weapons that they built. Right. You know, this reminds me of fire. You know, the advent of fire. Yeah. It it really advanced humanity, but I'm sure it claimed many, many uh, uh, caveman lives. And people continued to use fire as a way to destroy villages and and other people in horrible ways it didn't stop being used as a weapon but it also didn't stop being used as a tool for helping us for disinfecting water by boiling it for cooking our food for warming our caves yep um i i think a lot uh, this is sort of off topic but I, i think a lot about all the trial and error that must have gone into being cavemen just so much death that probably came just from figuring out which berries were good to eat there must have been a lot of death but I would wager that our senses, our idea, our, our, our instincts were keener back then. You know, you would take a little nibble, and when you feel yourself start to choke, you know, you, you back off. Sure. Now, sure. like super toxic stuff like the dart frogs, you're done. Right. And Don't a, eat those. A lot of rainforest kids got killed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, singularidad. Final thoughts? Uh, final thoughts. The singularity is something that is a cause of great fear and great concern to people. But I would say that in the course of human history, technological advancement, while it has not always yielded 
perfectly positive results has usually bent in the direction of improving and enhancing people's lives. And I am, I imagine that as history continues, it will probably be the same. We will continue to make technological advancements. They will continue to not be perfect. Some of them will harm people, but overall technological advancement will be continue to be a boon for mankind up to, and probably including the singularity. Very positive final words. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm going to put an MP3 of this on your cyber tombstone. <laughs> Thank you. I'll appreciate that. <laughs> they can't kill me because I'm a fictional character, you see. Ah. Unless they erase me from the record. Right. Aren't no. we all just fictional? Maybe the singularity has occurred already and we're all just fictional characters in a, a series of algorithms that the singularity what? has created. Maybe God is the singularity. Ah, Sean Kelly. I'm sorry. Before we conclude, do you know what time it is? It is 8.30. It's time for plugs! It's time for plugs! It's time for plugs, not drugs, but plugs! Give me a hug! You don't have to give me a hug. Uh, but Okay, so I should plug stuff? <laughs> yeah, it's time for plugs, John! Okay, this uh, is the order of operation! So I'm a member of the Improvised Star Trek, and I would certainly recommend going out and seeing that live show that I mentioned at the top of the broadcast. Just check out IO Chicago. The show starts on November 6th, Friday nights. 10 30 p.m we promise to have all kinds of great surprises and guests and hopefully you will enjoy the show and if you just can't wait for that we have 120 episodes of our podcasts that, that are online and you will enjoy those as well i think if you listen to them you will if you're listening to this you'll enjoy improvised star trek podcast and most of them yeah and that's it that's what i have to that's what i have to plug way to plug Thank you. You're like a thug of plugs. Just plugging away. Yeah. Succinct, to the point, no horseshit. <laughs> right? <laughs> You're not going to horseshit my audience, Sean. But I am. Ugh, I think that does it for today's episode of Blaster Podcast. Sean Kelly, thank you so much for being my jest. Thank you. You're welcome. Are you, are you playing Pokemon? I was. Uh, please disreveal yourself from me. The Blaster Podcast theme song was composed by Stephen Poon, www.timecrashband.com. 